0: What I'm going to talk to you about today is the Holy Spirit. Kind of strange how I got there. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to talk about and Holy Spirit came up and I wasn't sure what I was going to say. And I'm reading an interesting book by Rabbi Foreman. The title of it, I think, is The Beast That Crouches at the Door. And he said something about Satan that I had not really thought about. and as I started studying about the Holy Spirit in John because on Tuesday nights I've been going through the sevens in the book of John which we're done with and we finished up at the end of John you know, chapter 14, 15, 16 which is all about the Holy Spirit one of the things that I've said before and I'll say it again now because some of you may not have heard it the Bible is sort of divided broadly into three chunks you've got what Sunday Christians call the Old Testament and the Jews call it the Tanakh and in that section of the Bible God the Father is center stage now God the Spirit makes an appearance, several appearances he comes down on Saul when Saul is anointed for example lots of occasions where he shows up but the main focus of the book is the Father and then of course we have the Gospels and there the Son is center stage Father shows up Spirit shows up. So for example at the baptism of Yeshua you have all three members of the Trinity show up and God speaks and says this is my beloved Son and so forth in the Spirit. So it is not to say that the Son and the Spirit don't show up in the Old Testament and it doesn't say that the Father and the Spirit don't show up in the Gospels but each one of the members of God is sort of center stage if you will in each part of the book. And, of course, in the book of Acts and the letters, the Spirit is center stage. What does that all have to do with the Torah reading and sacrifice? A great deal. One of the things that I said last time is we spend a lot of time going over things like Leviticus and the tables of sacrifice and so forth. And we don't do that now. They will again, but right now we don't. And so why do we spend all this time listening to a technical manual on how you deal with a dead animal in such a way that it is pleasing to God? What I'll suggest to you is during the time when God the Father was center stage, that was the mechanism by which you drew close to God and during the time that God the Son is center stage, of course you have the physical presence of God in the person of Yeshua with you, so those who walked with Him and heard Him teach were able to draw close to God. Well that leaves the time where we're in now, which started after the resurrection or the ascension actually so the question then becomes how do we now draw close to God. To quote Rabbi Sachs, and of course he is not a messianic, yet if God was completely and permanently hidden from the physical world, it would be as if he were absent. From a human perspective, there would be no difference between an unknowable God and a non-existent God. Therefore, God established the holy as the point at which the eternal enters time and the infinite enters space. We live in time and space, so God has established connection points in both time and space where he can enter his creation and interact with us. Holy time is, of course, Shabbat, and the holy space is the tabernacle, and later the temple in Jerusalem. So, during the time when God the Father was center stage in the book, He established Shabbat as a point in time where he could connect with us, and he established the Temple of the Tabernacle as a point in space where he could connect with us. And as I say, during the time Yeshua was walking on the earth, since he was physically here, the point in time, Shabbat, continued, and the point in space became God the Son. Now I'm going to go over to Rabbi Foreman, and then I'm going to read a passage of Scripture, and then go to a slide, and I think all this, I hope, will come together. This book that I'm reading starts in the garden. It's the beast crouching at the door, and you know, you all know that phrase from Cain and Abel. When Cain sacrifices vegetables instead of an animal, and God doesn't approve of his sacrifice, and God says to Cain, sin is crouching at your door, but you can manage it. So that's sort of the theme. And one of the chapters in this book is, what's in it for the snake? And it is a serious question. And, of course, all of Christianity equates the snake with Satan. Rabbi Foreman doesn't go there. And I'm not going to go to where he goes necessarily, but he says from his perspective, most of Judaism has a different perspective of Satan than most of Christianity does. His perspective of Satan, Rabbi Foreman's, is Satan is an advocate. And what he is, is an advocate for strict justice. So in that sense, if you have a heavenly court and you've got defense counsel and you've got a prosecution counsel, right? And Satan is a company man. Satan is not sort of this independent co-equal with God that is fighting God. Satan is, in fact, the heavenly prosecutor. And what he's doing is he's saying, hey, God, you've got all these laws, That person just violated one of them. We need some justice here, God. And of course, since we violate God's laws all the time, that makes Satan look like our enemy. If you have a cop riding beside you in your car all the time, and every time you go through a stop sign or you go five miles over the speed limit or any of those kinds of things, then he starts writing tickets. He's going to feel like your enemy. But what he is, is simply a strict advocate for justice. This is the rabbinic view. I'm not necessarily buying this. But now, keep that in mind. And I'm going to read you a passage from John. And I'm in John chapter 14. And you've all heard this forever, and it will be very familiar, starting in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, He it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Most of you have probably got that passage of Scripture memorized, as you well should. It's a great passage of Scripture. Now, can I have my slide? You should all be really familiar with this structure by now. We talk about it a lot. What I've done is I've taken that passage of Scripture I have just read and I have broken it down and shazam it lays out as a chiasm or an atbash pattern which is all over the Torah and we spend a lot of time studying this pattern because in it God tells us stuff so let's look at this passage of scripture starts off at the top if you love me and it ends up with he who loves me and then keep my commandments if you love me keep my commandments right It ends up with those who keep my commandments are those who love me. So, again, you understand the the structure. So then the next thing we have, I will ask the Father, and then I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. So we have Father, Father. The next thing is, I will give you a helper. And the word here I am going to use can also be translated as advocate the Greek word there and I don't know what it is I don't speak Greek I don't pretend to speak Greek but my good old concordance says that that word is also perfectly well translated as advocate I will give you a helper and then that matches because I live you will also live so the helper here in that sense has something to do with life and then the world cannot receive him the helper, and the world will see me no more. Okay, so the subject is the world on each side. And then in the middle, you know him for he dwells with you and I will be with you and I will not leave you as orphan, I will come to you. So the whole thing is God's presence with you is the center of that structure. So the top part of the center is, he will be with you, and the bottom part of that center is, I'm coming back, and I will not leave you as orphans. So the whole thing is God's presence with you. That's where it all focuses. That's the center of that pattern. And one of the things that we've discovered as we go through these patterns in the Old Testament or in the Tanakh or the Torah is... As that narrows down, it all points to something, and the thing that it points to is the really important part of the phrase. So what I'm suggesting to you is the really important part of John 14:15 through 21 is this business of God dwelling with you in the form of the Holy Spirit or in the form of Messiah at the time this is written and in the future is what he's saying. So going back to Rabbi Foreman's explanation or opinion, if you will, about who Satan is. Satan is the heavenly prosecutor. He's not an independent operator. He is a company man. He is doing God's bidding in this view. And his bidding is to be an advocate for strict justice. And so what Yeshua is doing is saying, I am going to send you an advocate and that advocate is going to be your defense counsel. And the Holy Spirit's job here, at least in this particular passage of Scripture, is to be an advocate for you. And he will be with you during the time that Yeshua is absent from you. So, during the first part of the book, God the Father was present with us. He occupied the tabernacle in the temple. The cloud of glory was there. You had God in the midst of the camp. During the Gospels, you had God the Son with you, physically. People could touch him. People could talk to him. So now we have God the Spirit with us, and his job while he is with us is to be our advocate, because there is an advocate for the other side. Now, one of the things that most people do when they think about the Holy Spirit is they think about the Holy Spirit as being the power source of God. And that's true. He is. Because when Yeshua does his miracles, it's very clear he is doing them by the power of the Holy Spirit. Says so. And what we in Christianity tend to focus on is the power. So, boy, when you got the power, you're going to be able to lay hands on people and raise them from the dead, and you're going to be able to do all sorts of neat stuff. And, of course, we all think that's pretty cool. <laughs> you know, I can walk around raising people from the dead, and I can walk around laying hands on people and they recover, and I can walk around and, you know, all this stuff. Ah-ha. Do you notice the pride there? I have got the Holy Spirit, and because I have got the power source of God at my fingertips, I can do stuff. And, oh, by the way, I have laid hands on people and they have recovered, I have cast out devils and all those kinds of things, so I'm not exempting me from any of this. And when the power of God flows through you, it's really neat. But what I want to suggest to you is, while that is really neat, that's not what's important. And I'll come back to that in just a minute. But what I want to do is I want to take you through what Yeshua says the Holy Spirit's function is in the book of John. And I will suggest to you, none of it has anything to do with power or signs or miracles or anything like that. Let's go through them. So the next one I've got is John 14 and verse 25. And there he's a teacher. These are the things I have spoken to you while I'm with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. You ever wonder how those disciples all got together and wrote down their Gospels and it all sort of meshes? What Yeshua is saying here is I'm going to send my Spirit and he is going to bring all this stuff that I have taught you to your remembrance so you can write it down accurately. That's in parentheses, he did not say that. Okay but that's one of the functions of the spirit John 15:26 and that is as a witness and when the helper comes whom I will send to you from the father the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father he will bear witness about me so he's a teacher he's a witness now I'm going to skip down to John 16 and this is a passage that you're all familiar with. I'm going to pick it up in verse seven. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So this goes back to my original thing that I'm center stage right now. I'm center stage right now. And until I get off the stage, the spirit can't come and be center stage so I need to get off the stage so he can come and be center stage for the rest of the book until you get to Revelation and then Yeshua comes back as center stage verse 8 and when he comes he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged so who gets convicted of sin? the world Is it his job to convict you of sin? Whose job is it to convict you of sin? Satan. Satan. He's come here as your advocate. It is not his job to convict you of sin. There's already a heavenly prosecutor whose job it is to convict you of sin. He's your defense counsel. But concerning the world, he then becomes the prosecution. Down now to verse 12. I will have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So that's another of his functions. He's supposed to guide you into all truth. He's the one that opens up the scriptures to you when you start to read them. How many of you have been in here and have read through the Torah ten times, and every year when you read through the Torah, it's like, wait a minute, that wasn't there the first ten times I read this. Anybody ever had that experience? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's the Holy Spirit. That's one of his jobs is to guide you into all truth. Remember, the Holy Spirit is not the prosecutor for you. He's the defense. He's the guide. He's the teacher. Okay, that's his role with respect to you. So picking it up at verse 13 again, let me read the second half of the verse. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Prophecy. So he's the one that opens up the prophetic word to you. So you can look around and you can see what's going on in the world and you can recognize where you are on God's timeline. That's another one of the Holy Spirit's jobs notice we haven't got anything here about speaking in tongues we haven't got anything here about healing people we haven't got anything here about raising folks from the dead now don't get me wrong those are also gifts of the spirit but they are none of those talked about in John now down to verse 14 in John chapter 16 he will glorify me is Yeshua speaking so his job is to glorify the son So that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that's different. And when the gifts of the Holy Spirit are available to you, they are there for what purpose? And the gifts of the Spirit are not for your use. They are for your administration as you use them for somebody else. So the gifts of the Spirit although they are really exciting and really neat, should not be a source of pride in you. You are simply the one who is the hands, if you will, or the voice, if you will, that allows the power of the Spirit to go out and minister to somebody else. Paul goes through a long screed in Corinthians. Y'all are all excited about speaking in tongues. But when you speak in tongues, nobody's edified. So you don't speak in tongues in a congregation unless there's somebody to interpret And it's the same thing with healing. It's the same thing with raising people from the dead. It's the same thing for all of the gifts of the Spirit. They're not for you. They're not a source of pride in you. "Hmm, Boy, God has picked me and I am really hot stuff because I can do X, Y, or Z. That's wrong. That's the wrong attitude. The gifts of the Spirit are to minister to God's people. Moving down to John 20. And this is after the crucifixion and after the resurrection. Yeshua said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I will gently suggest to you that if the Messiah himself breathes on you and says, Receive the Holy Spirit, you've got the Holy Spirit. Okay? I mean, you can go to all sorts of preachers and they'll lay hands on you and say, receive the Spirit, and mostly that works. I mean, I'm not suggesting that that doesn't work. But what I'm saying is when the Messiah himself does it, there isn't any question about it being effective. Yet there is no intimation of power here. In fact, in the first part of the book of Acts, before the ascension, Yeshua has got all of his disciples gathered together. These are people who he has breathed on and have received the Holy Spirit, right? He gets them all together and he says, I'm about to go. You guys hang around in Jerusalem until you are imbued with power. So I'm suggesting that they have got the Holy Spirit up to this point, but they don't have the manifestation of power. Now, there are denominations of the body of Christ, specifically Pentecostals and Charismatics, who go into a whole long thing about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and say, boy, if you can't speak in tongues and walk on water and do all this stuff, you ain't got the Spirit, Jack. And what I'm saying to you is, that's not correct. Because it is entirely possible, and I believe not only possible, but in your case, a fact that you have the Holy Spirit, but you may not have any need for any of the manifestations of power. As I say, there are denominations in the body of Christ that say, you know, if you don't manifest the gifts of the Spirit, you haven't got it. And I'm suggesting that is not good theology. Because we have it here in Scripture, in red letters in my Bible, where the Messiah himself breathes on these folks and says, receive the Spirit. And then in a separate incident, later on says, okay, now hang around until you pick up some power. Because you haven't got that yet. But they clearly have the Spirit and the spirit in this case is to minister to them because remember we started off this thing of there being three separate stars of the show, again for lack of a better term and during the time that God the Father is center stage the connection with God is the tabernacle or the temple and during the time that God the Son is center stage the connecting point is himself his physical body he's here so now that the spirit is center stage what I'm trying to do is encourage you that you in fact have the spirit and the spirit is doing what the spirit says he would do in the book of John he is opening up the scriptures to you he is advocating for you in front of the father when the accuser says wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute that guy just went five miles an hour over the speed limit we need some justice here boss and the spirit becomes your advocate for the grace and mercy of god in your life that's one of his jobs he's opening up the scriptures to you it's the holy spirit working in you to make the word effective in your life one of the things that we get over and over and over again in prayer requests is Satan's really on my case The really after me and all that kind of stuff and that may be true but I will suggest to you that the enemy is after you as a prosecutor not necessarily as an independent agent of evil now one thing I, I do have to say one of the things that happens in Scripture and God wrote it down so we would see it who raised up the nation of Babylon and brought the nation of Babylon to Israel to sand off the southern kingdom. God Himself, God whistled up Babylon, they existed for 70 years and then they disappeared. And that was the 70 years of the Babylonian exile. So God raised them up, used them as an instrument to chasten and send Israel into exile and then shut them down. The problem was Babylon engaged in what God regarded as unnecessary roughness. I want you to pick them up and I want you to put them in exile. What I don't want you to do is treat them like the Egyptians treated them. So God gets really upset with the nations that he has used to chastise Israel when they go beyond their brief. I will suggest that there's a real strong possibility that Satan is in the same camp that Satan is entirely capable of engaging in unnecessary roughness. In other words, his job is to be the prosecuting attorney. And that's bad enough, okay, at least in my case. But when he goes beyond and engages in unnecessary roughness, I will suggest that that's where you see the stuff in the book of Revelation where God finally jerks him up short and says, you're not doing what I set you up to do. So what I want you to do is be encouraged you do have the Holy Spirit and if you speak in tongues or have a gift of healing or have a gift of helps or a gift of administration or any of these gifts praise God use them that's what they're given to you for he expects you to use whatever gifts he gives you but if you don't have any of the cool gifts don't worry about it everybody doesn't have every gift I happen to be a teacher that's what God gave me I also happen to speak in tongues I also happen to have a gift of healing Somebody else will have a gift of prophecy. That's so we all need each other. That's so we all work together as a body. As Paul says, not everybody gets to be afoot. Because if everybody's afoot, you don't have any heads, or, you know, to paraphrase. So, the gifts of the Spirit are not a source of pride. They are something that's given to you to use in the service of others please consider becoming a sponsor. Please visit crimsonthread.com purpose for an explanation of what we're doing and perhaps to become a sponsor. Thank you.